There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter. This week, we talk to one woman about lockdown and... Honestly, it's a bit of an emotional one, so you might just want to ready yourself for that. Dawn Porter has been sharing her journey through lockdown on her blog, and she's now turned it into a book. We have a good laugh about parenting and a little bit of a more thoughtful reflection about grief. Plus, I talked to Alvin Hall about his new podcast, Driving the Green Book. First up, it's Dawn Porter. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. For those of you who are dedicated listeners, which hopefully some of you are, you might remember that way back at the beginning of the year, I interviewed Dawn Porter about the book that she had written that was coming out at that point. Um, I was going to say new book, but it's we've got another one since then, so it's not. Uh, the one before the new book, So Lucky. And we had a nice chat about writer life and uh, balancing work and family and what we thought might happen in 2020 and what a strange year it had been in 2019 um and then we went on our way as though that was just another interview and life would carry on as normal uh, and as we know that didn't happen and for dawn in particular it has been a year filled with change and grief and as she puts it so eloquently in the dedication of her new book, Life in Pieces, what a mm, show of a year. She joins us now to talk about it. Dawn Porter, hello. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Hi, thanks so much. God, it feels like years ago that we last spoke. I can't believe it was even in the last <laughs> eight years. It feels like a lifetime ago. Um, tell us, first of all, new book, Life in Pieces, which is, you know, as we know in the world of publishing, it takes ages usually for books to turn around, but this is actually your journal from life and lockdown. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, was, it wasn't supposed to be a book. It was just a blog that I was keeping kind of... Um, every, I, was, I couldn't focus on writing a book when I had the kids 24-7, so, but I still felt like I needed to write something. So I just wrote this blog every day about what the day had been like. It was kind of funny, and I became quite addicted to writing it, and that it had... Um, I, 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 just, I loved it. Anyway, it was after a few months that my publisher said, do you want to turn that into a book? And by the time they said that, I'd already written, you know, half a book. So in terms of turnaround, it was actually quite quick. And then it was their job to be right, right, we're going to get this, you know, <laughs> edited and printed by October. So a bit of a team effort. But I can't, 
I, I can't believe that as I'm physically holding the book that this uh, this is stuff I was writing about a few months ago. It seems very surreal. I mean, it's fascinating because, as you say, I've got the book in front of me and it is talking about the parts of our life that a year ago would have seemed like science fiction and now feel as if they're happening at this very minute in time. Tell me, what has lockdown been like for you? Um, it's been, like for everybody, very hard in terms of accepting what is happening. <laughs> um, and also, I have a um, five-year-old and a three-year-old, so it's been exhausting. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we'll look back on it really negatively. Like, we've had a good time with the kids, and it's been quite precious in a way it's just been exhausted Chris and I are just so tired all the time what else has it been like it's been I mean it was sad it was we just missed everybody so much because we're in we're in America that eight hour time difference um sorry that was my phone the eight hour time difference makes communication really hard with people if we don't speak to everybody in the morning then we don't get to speak to them all day because they'll go to bed and our mornings with the kids are very busy and we have to work so it's I've just felt very disconnected, but we're kind of in the hardship and the sadness and the constant childcare and the remote schooling and the intensity of marriage and the intensity of parenting and the missing everybody. We've eaten some really good food. <laughs> We've drunk lots of margaritas because we were basically had decided that we were going to pretend that we were on holiday for the first yeah. few weeks and then it went on and on and on and on. <laughs> Um, I have to say we're, we're drinking like normal people now as opposed to like we're um, like we're living it up and um, but yeah I think I think mostly I look back on it reasonably positively if what a what a time to be alive what a mm. thing to live through what an experience for everybody and even though there's so much devastation that like the the death rates the homes that have been lost the people who have lost their livelihoods just the separation from people that we love there's just so much sadness but I've just got this kind of hopeful feeling that the world will land in a better place after all of this. You started you said writing because there was a part of you that just needed to write but you couldn't do a book and I think lots of us had that experience during lockdown of not really being able to concentrate on things in the way that we usually would. What did writing this blog give you? It gave me an outlet. I was experiencing bigger feelings than I've ever experienced in my life. I, it's, the year started off with losing a friend. I was absolutely heartbroken. And then lockdown started, and I knew I wasn't going to see any of the people I love for a really long time. Um, my kids are very demanding, lovely, sweet, very demanding. But I felt like when I sat down, I put them to bed, spend the day with them, put them to bed, pour a glass of wine, write my blog. I was like, this is me being a grown-up. It made me feel like I was you know, holding on to myself in a time when I had to completely commit my life to my kids because they'd also been torn out of school, weren't allowed to see their friends, couldn't do anything. So this blog that I was writing just became my, what was, it became my thing for me. And for that reason, I think I got quite addicted to it. Um, it was such a therapeutic outlet at the end of every day to talk about the sad, the funny, the, the hard, the easy, every element of what I was experiencing. Did your relationship with your kids change? Because I think one of the things that I th 
I I think when I was I thought when I was reading your book is that lots of mothers out there are going to identify with this sudden experience of parenting being completely different to how it has yeah. been at any point up until now. Do you think it's changed you as a mother? I think it's I think it's definitely had a really positive effect on me as a mother. I've always been really engaged and I you know I'm very lucky I write for a living which means yeah. I'm I'm in control of my own hours. If one of my kids is sick and the school calls, I can go and take them home and spend the day with them. It's Unless I'm running up really tight to a deadline, it's generally fine for me to do that. So I'm already in a very good position as a working mum. I'm not having to clock in anywhere. Um, but with my job comes the complete inability to not be working at any time. I'm always thinking about what I'm going to write on the page the next day. So I think I've always been a really engaged mum. I've always been available and I've always been there, but I've always been a, in a minute, I'm just going to write this down. In a minute, I'm just going to do this. In a minute, I'm just going to do this. Hang on, wait, 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 wait kind of mum because I'm always so busy. And what lockdown did for me was I I couldn't do that. I wasn't working to the level that I know I produced a book, but like I said, I wrote a little yeah. bit every day. So it wasn't my normal kind of writing schedule. I wasn't going to work nine to five. And I think what it made me better at was playing with my kids Um getting down on my hands and knees and actually properly engaging with them. Uh, I had to sacrifice a lot of myself to be there for them because they, at their age, they just need so much attention. I had no choice but to give it to them. And usually that attention is shared between them going to school, play dates, their friends. Mm -hmm. And now it was all down to Chris and I to provide all of that attention for them. And we did it and we had to do it and we actually really enjoyed it. So I'm, I never would have thought I wasn't an engaged parent before, but I definitely think now I am I'm right there with them. I'm not I'm not distracted. And who knows what will happen when this is all over and I go back, you know, I get an office outside the house again and it might it might go back, but but this it's definitely kind of um welded me much closer to the experience of being a mum than than I was before. And I think there's something really interesting there, what you said about learning to play, because I think all of us actually have had this weird experience of having to learn how to entertain potentially children, but at the very least ourselves, yeah. in ways that we've allowed ourselves essentially to be distracted by the rest of the world for so yeah. long. It's actually really nice to play. I think there's a reason why those colouring books for grown-ups became so popular a few years ago. It's because actually you realise that kind of... Um, like non-intellectual recreation act, recreational activities are really fun <laughs> that's why kids love them and so if you actually um fully you know engage and commit to doing that kind of thing it's actually really it's actually really nice i mean saying that though i'm still i still i still find playing with kids quite hard and quite boring <laughs> but i've also got better at doing like right i'm gonna do half an hour for half an hour I'll be down on the floor doing this with you and then, and then you know, it's over to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll set you up. But, and yeah, then learning exactly. to play by yourself, very important skill. Yeah. Very important <laughs> skill. But what I used to do is I just used to think, what toys will give me a break? As in, what toys can I get them that will... And now I'm more like, what can we do together that they um, will then be able to do alone? But that we can, that the, the, my first thought when getting something is, what can we do together? Which is very different from how I was a year ago. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. What was it like for your relationship in lockdown? Because obviously you and your husband, Chris, you both have very big careers. You both travel a lot. Suddenly having this intense period of time together, how did you find that? Mostly good. I mean, we had, I definitely think we've got, you know, one thing that I've always thought was really good about our relationship is that we get big breaks throughout the year, which I think is quite good for a couple. A few weeks apart when one of us goes to do a job somewhere. But we're lucky it's not... Because I write, if Chris does a three-month job somewhere, I can generally go because all I need is my computer and our kids are young enough that they weren't, you know, in school. Mm-hmm. So we did we did do our longest stretch of not having any time apart. And I think we did pretty well. We're still married. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it went really well. We definitely had some hairy moments. And we were also moving house halfway through, which obviously wow. when, we, when we planned to do that, we didn't know there was going to be a global pandemic. <laughs> and so... There was a moving house is hands down the most stressful thing you can yeah. do when you're a family, especially with young kids. And um, and that was a really, really intense, stressful period of time because we had to move. We didn't want to come into contact with too many people. You know, yeah. we we're getting very little work. So financially, it was stressful. And we had been planning all of this stuff for like two years, not realizing that when the moment actually came, we were going to be in this in this situation. But we did it and we got through it. And now, I mean... Yeah, I mean, my kids went for a sleepover at their friend's house last night, so we had a morning without kids this morning, and I was just like, we're fine. <laughs> We've actually come out of this wanting to spend time together, which is really nice. Like, I thought we were, I thought we were going to have this experience of no kids and just like, all right, I'm going to go to the park, you're going to do this, let's just get away, and we've just been together all morning. So, yeah, we've, we've done well. <laughs> I think that is success. The definition of success, success. we still want to spend some time together. Um, exactly. <laughs> a large part of your book, does deal with uh, the concept of grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you said you lost a friend earlier in the year, which is Caroline Flack, and the, I guess, the suddenness of that and then the intensity of COVID-19 and lockdown. What has all of that taught you about grief? Oh, God. I mean, I don't know what lessons you ever learn about grief. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I've... Um, it doesn't wait for you, as in you couldn't. I couldn't like bank it and be like, yeah. oh, "I'm going to deal with this after you know after lockdown." It's just you can't get rid of it. You just have to, you have to just almost like you just have to commit to it. Yeah. 
and understand that if you fully commit to it, just let it take you through this horrible journey that it's going to take you to, then you do eventually, the fog just clears. And um, I I still, like I say in the book, I still have no idea if lockdown was useful or Mm. not useful in terms of the way that, you know, in terms of what grief does. When you lose someone you love, you you want everything to stop. You think, I cannot step outside my front door into the world that existed before that, when that person was around, because it doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And lockdown did that, changed the world. So you're kind of thinking, I mean, there's also a big section in the book about spirituality, because I've never been a spiritual person in my life. But this year just made me think everything is connected. I was on the flight on the way home from Caroline's funeral, just thinking, I don't know how to exist in this world anymore without her. And then... And I was almost saying to myself, I just need the world to change completely. I need it to accept that this will never be the same again. Noah landed and three days later the schools were shut and we weren't allowed to leave our homes. It was like, did I ask for this to happen? What's going on? And so I feel like um, I didn't learn anything about grief and every time I experienced it throughout my life, there were many times I'm sure it will feel different and I'll have a different reaction. But I definitely um, I definitely had the weirdest experience of grief you could imagine <laughs> It's like, and so the thing about this year is that so many people lost people. Yeah. There was this weird, like, group experience of, like, deep, deep loss. Mm. Whether that was actually someone you love dying or just not being able to see the people that you love and not, you know, not being able to visit your parents and your kids not being able to see their grandparents and these awful feelings of, like, detachment and loss that we all experienced. And I think looking back, there was a comfort in that and that you didn't feel didn't feel completely alone yeah and you felt like everybody was going through something and kind of holding each other up in a weird kind of way you had some or you have had some incredible moments of I guess synchronicity in the last few months particularly around uh the words be kind can you tell us about some of those yeah so obviously Caroline's death kind of spurred this Mm. um social media hashtag be kind and one day I was just having a particularly morose morning and there were these crows outside going crazy in the sky. Like so crazy that you couldn't not go outside and think what is going on and look up at the sky. They were landing on the telephone wires and then bomb diving the garden, picking up all the kids' toys and like smashing them up. It was so dramatic. So I go outside and I look, all right, all right, all right. I look up and I look up and as I look up in the sky, an aeroplane is writing the words be kind above my house. Wow. And uh, I mean, of, I mean, there's a logical reason as to why this was happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know what who organised that or what it did, but the way that the crows made me look at the sky and those words that meant so much to so many of us this year. I just decided in that moment to be like, okay, universe, we're all connected. I'm listening. You're in charge. <laughs> um, I am. I am a tiny part of this, you know, human existence. And for me to magnify my feelings like they're the biggest feelings in the world, stupid. Almost like lie back and let life roll over you. Really, kind of um, a really powerful moment. And I still think, what were the chances of that? And it was literally directly above my house. Wow. I know. <laughs> And I I think that's an incredible thing to take from it, this idea that actually, okay, you know, um, okay, I'm going to take from this not that my feelings are so important that the universe has somehow conspired to bring this to me at the exact moment that I need it, but actually that my feelings 
are what I'm feeling, but they're a tiny part of what else is going on in the world. That's it. And as soon as you realize that about yourself, everything becomes a little bit easier. This, this human ego that we are all burdened with, where we think our experience is the most important experience, it's, it doesn't do us any good. For us all to kind of sit back and just feel like we're all part of a bigger thing, not, and I'm not talking about yeah. religion or anything like that. I just mean literally being an animal on the earth and that the seasons control us and that we are, you know, watch any David Attenborough documentary and the animals are so affected by um, seasons and the world. And uh, humans, for some reason, think that we are just these kind of solo creatures who aren't, who aren't. And I, I don't know, I just, I just had my, I don't know what my future in spirituality spirituality is because I've always just been so eye-rolly about everything <laughs> but now I'm just a bit like I just feel a bit like I I can't believe I'm the kind of person who sleeps with a crystal under my pillow this year like where the hell did that come from I'm just I just feel like okay if there's something out there that's going to make this easier I'm just open to it. do you think the fact that it's this hasn't been uh, something that's happened to a specific location. It hasn't been something that's happened in the UK or in California. It it has affected the whole world. Do you think that's made Uh us realise actually how small the world is? I hope so. And I hope it also, when when people have come out of their own personal experiences of Mm. the difficulties of this year, I hope it opens up the compassion. I I do a lot of work with a charity called Choose Love, which is the... Uh, a charity that is the biggest source of aid to the refugee crisis across Europe. And we deal with a lot of negativity towards the people in the camps Mm. and this feeling of them and us and why should we help them when, you know, we're going through. And our feeling has always been like human beings are human beings. And if there is a crisis like that, we should all be helping rather than if it's not in your country, it's not your problem. I can't, I find that, I find that a very difficult attitude um, you know, the whole point of calling it choose love is that love is universal, love is global. And there's hundreds of thousands of people living in total squalor whose lives could be made easier if we all did a little tiny, tiny bit to help. And I'm just hoping that after the world gets shaken in this way, in this kind of colossal group experience, that maybe we all realize that we are all on one earth and that we all should be there for each other. And at any moment, Anybody could be in crisis and you would hope that someone somewhere is going to help. Um, I like to think that might be something that starts to happen after this. There'll be more kind of global sympathy, more peace. Do you think we have become a world that is very binary at the moment that sort of likes to take one one side or the other and we're not terribly good at finding the middle ground? Do you think that perhaps this experience might make us I feel like I'm being terribly optimistic here but I think it might make us a bit more inclined to just appreciate the good and to not look for the opposite I hope so but we're in a weird you know it's been kind of a seismic year in politics five years in politics big decisions like Brexit or no Brexit Trump or no Trump like these are like it feels like black and white decisions everyone's having to make. The middle ground doesn't really exist. It's all so extreme. And I feel like we've got another few years of this in a way of like, feeling like this. And I just, I don't know, it's, it's horrible that there's just such defined sides in this way. But I think there's a lot of people in the middle who would just want a nice time, want a nice life, just want to be surrounded by the people they love and not be so divided. And I'm hoping that voice kind of, you know, magnifies 
in the next few years as we all just find this binary, as you put it, way of existing exhausting, mm. exhausting. And, you know, I'm here for the middle ground of people who just want to exist in a nice place and just be <laughs> kind to each other and just look after the people around them and have a, you know, and have an eye on everyone else to make sure that everyone's doing okay. And if there's a little something you can do to make someone's life a little bit better, then just do it rather than feeling like I must only take care of myself. Mm. And I feel like that's, everyone's so full of fear because the media is so scary and the world seems so scary and fear is making everyone very defensive and very, um, it's like their, their experience, their unique experience of being alive is all that matters. And, I, don't, I think we're a way off from it, but I, I do hope that this experience, when you kind of look back on it, will make everyone just a little bit more, like I said earlier, just more compassionate to other people. When the world returns to some level of normality, she says again, very optimistically, um, what will you be taking with you from this experience? Um, a nanny. <laughs> <laughs> a really good recipe for margaritas. <laughs> loads of tequila a nanny jamie oliver's seven ways cookbook because that's just got me through the last month and um and yeah maybe a maybe a um spa break with a kids club <laughs> i think that's that's what i'm that's uh, that's as far as i've got i mean i think that's what the hospitality industry needs right now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um yeah honestly that's that's i'm i i also i'm also going to stop really planning the future because this work we just don't know what's going to happen like just try really really enjoy where you're at and if it's not making you happy make changes that make your your present day better rather than kind of panicking and always worrying about the future because i think what this has taught us is mm. We just don't know, and we're not really in control of things like this. So just make sure that the life you're living is the best life you can be living at the time. Um, I've never been a saver. I've never been someone who, like, thinks about where I'm going to be in 20 years' time, but this has really solidified that. It's just the complete opposite to what most people think, but I just think just make sure that always planning and always wondering where where will we be in 20 years just isn't a mindset that I think we should have right now. I think we should all just be making sure that, you know, the life around us is just the life that we want to be living. And I do think there's a lot of people, because on this blog that I've got, um, I asked this question about, is there anyone actually who this is really good for? Who has 2020 been really grateful? And I was inundated by people who didn't want to admit to it because they know how a hard time so many people are having and they thought to be positive about it was really um, crass. But a lot of people were like, I didn't like the life I was living. I was commuting to a job I hated. I never saw my kids. Mm-hmm. I was in a marriage I didn't want to be in. I was in a home I hated. It's forced me to make decisions. And when this is over, I'm going to, you know, make better decisions for my life and shed a lot of the things that weren't making me happy. And I know there's a lot of people that are having that experience. And I hope those people feel the confidence to share the positivity of 2020 because it's not all going to be awful when it's over. I think that is a great note to end on. Dawn, thank you so much for chatting with us. Dawn O'Porter there. Um author of her new book life in pieces thoughts from a year that changed us all which is a genuinely lovely book to read you know when you read one of these books it feels a bit like a a nice hot chocolate and a hug um it's that kind of a book i thoroughly recommend it this is the badass women's hour podcast you can get in touch on all the socials on at badass women's hour
Now, I think we can all agree that the thought of a road trip through America holds sort of appeal and sort of not appeal at this precise moment in time. But one man who has been doing it differently is my next guest, Alvin Hall. He has launched a podcast called Driving the Green Book. And, well, it's a journey through the US from a very different point of view. Hi, Alvin. Hello. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, first of all, tell us, what is The Green Book? The Green Book was a publication, a travel guide, published in America from 1936 to 1967. It was created by a man named Victor Hugo Green and his wife, Alma. Victor had been a postman, and he and his wife would take trips to visit relatives in Virginia. And on their way down, they would encounter frustrations, as he he called them. They wouldn't be able to use a bathroom. They couldn't buy petrol. They couldn't find a place to stay. So Victor used this experience to create a travel guide that would tell African Americans traveling during segregation and Jim Crow in America the places where they could find welcoming services. That service could be a tailor, a beauty shop, a gasoline station, a repair shop for your car, a hotel, a restaurant, a club. So these were ways, these were places where white people were welcomed. I mean, I think that's such a, I mean, on the one hand, it's such an ingenious, ingenious idea, but also the fact that it had to exist in the first place um, is horrifying. But you have decided to do a podcast where you essentially travel the green book. So you stop at these spots. What inspired the idea for it? The idea started because back in 2016, I did a program for BBC Radio 4 called The Green Book. And I did this with a producer called Jeremy Grange. And Jeremy and I had a great time on that trip, which followed the old civil rights route. But that show never aired in America. It was always a great disappointment to me. And we could not figure out why Americans would not embrace this program. So it stayed in the back of my mind all this time. So I came up with another road trip from Detroit to New Orleans. And I specifically uh, chose this route, Harriet, because during the Great Migration, which occurred from 1910 to 1970, the population of Detroit increased from 1.2% African-American to over 43% African-American from 1910 to 1970. So a lot of black people had moved from the South up to Detroit. And I figured this would be a common route that they would take when they were going back home for weddings, for funerals, for Thanksgiving, to visit relatives. So that was really the inspiration for this trip. And how did you decide which places you were going to stop at? What what were some of the stories that you wanted to unearth when you started? Oh, that's a great question, because I'm not sure I knew what stories <laughs> I wanted to unearth when I started, to be honest. I thought we were looking for people who had used the Green Book, mm-hmm. who knew the businesses in the Green Book, who knew the neighborhoods where the businesses were located, who could tell us why the Green Book was important in their lives. And so as we looked at the route uh, from Detroit 
to New Orleans. We would call various places, to, and we would call the historical societies. We'd call the uh, National Association for Colored People, for the advancement of colored people. We would call all of these local places to try to get names of people we could call along the way. Of course, if we're traveling south, there's some places we just had to stop. We had to stop in Nashville. We had to stop in Memphis. We had to stop in Montgomery. Birmingham, Jackson, because all of these places are key in the civil rights movement. And as we called around and we made you know, contact with people, some of them just had some interesting stories. And Harry, I'm going to tell you something which, which is interesting. You can start on a journey with one objective, and at the very end, you end up with something quite different. And that's exactly what happened. What did you end up with in the end? deep personal stories and memories about that time that people shared with us, many of them, I think, for the first time in years. So we would be sitting there. We took no notes. My associate producer, Janae Woods, whatever, and I, we would just start a conversation with them. We knew we had an objective we wanted to accomplish with that conversation, but we wanted the conversation to be easy and warm and friendly and sometimes they would stop us and say to me, where are you from? I said, well, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida. I knew you were from the <laughs> South. Or they would say, you talk like one of my relatives. And that familiarity, that connection led them to tell us these incredible stories. So what we thought would be a road trip looking at places, mm. it ended up when we sat down to edit it together, it became the stories that we were told. So we were giving voice to all of these people who had told us their personal stories about traveling in America during that time, about their communities during that time, about all these issues related to segregation, Jim Crow, and travel in America. Wow. What were a couple of the stories that stood out for you? Oh, there's some that I still find a hard time talking about. Mm. Uh, in the first episode, um, Hezekiah Jackson um, in Birmingham, Alabama, tells about a, a trip during his childhood when uh, his parents, with the children in the car, drove up to Detroit. One of his aunts had died, and they had to go to her employer in Detroit in order to get her paycheck. And when they pulled up, the police stopped his father and told his father the N-word, why are you in this neighborhood? How do you have that nice car? You work for some white people, and they gave you that nice car. And what's so powerful about that scene, he said to me, my brother said, turned to me and said, did you hear that white man just go, daddy boy? And he said, my brother almost lost it. And what people forget about is all the collateral damage in that situation. What did that do to that young boy to hear his father spoken of that way? And the mother kept her finger to the, her lips telling them to be quiet, to be quiet all the time. That story has stayed with me so much. And the other one is Hank Saunders, who was the first senator uh, elected to the uh, Mississippi um, Senate since Reconstruction. And he describes one night driving a white lady home because he didn't want that the people at the meeting to have to drive her all out of their way to get her home. So he decided to drive her home. And a car pulled up behind him. And as he sped up, they sped up. As he slowed down, they slowed down. And he knew it was 
the type of car where people would have a gun rack in the back. And he was nervous. And finally, the car pulled up beside him, and they looked at him and then drove on in front of him. And, of course, then he had to make the decision if they drove further, what if they had set up to ambush them at that point? That was the type of fear that people did that throughout the South. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine living in that kind of fear. How did making this show change you? Before we left to take the trip, mm. I was nervous about the trip. In fact, my friend Janae said something recently that we never talked about, but it reflected one of her fears, and that is being in the car with me a black man on the road made her nervous, so she drove most of the trip 2,021 miles. Wow. That gave her a greater comfort level. At the end of the trip, I came away with so many memories that I still am sorting through, try, trying to find a place to put them in my uh, memory. How people who tell us these stories would end with an amusing little tale about something related to it, how they would connect it to, to an event today, an event from their past, they would connect to an event today. And for me, it gave me a deeper understanding of how African Americans have had to be resilient to get through this, mm. determined also not trapped by these incidents. And that speaks to the grace and forgiveness that almost everybody we met had in them. I mean, I can't wait to listen to the podcast and that grace and forgiveness is so inspirational and important. And thank you for sharing these stories and making this podcast. Um, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Alvin Hall there. The podcast is called Driving the Green Book. It's available now on Apple Podcasts. I can't... Yeah, as you can imagine, just from listening to him talk there, some of the stories and the impact that they are going to have when we hear them. Truly inspirational. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chat. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 